Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Good morning, Brown Corners. I am Jeffrey Thompson, your administrative pastor. If you're not sure what that means, all I can say is you're in good company. <laughs> and before I continue, let's get the uh, elephant in the room out of the way. I absolutely love these shoes because they, they elicit one of two reactions. People either love them or they want to beat me. <laughs> They're actually part of my message later on. On October 1st, Jeremiah began his series of messages on Philippians. As I often do, not that I should, I skipped ahead to see what was coming. This was for me, forget a little, sorry folks. I'm going to back up, I'm sorry. On October 1st, Jeremiah began his series of messages on Philippians. As I often do, not that I should, I skipped ahead to see what was coming. This was for me the beginning of a conviction that I must, I shall, preach and testify to the power that's contained in Philippians 3, 4 through 11. I've titled my message today, Perfect Submission. Submission, of course, being one of the most despised words in our vocabulary. For nowhere in today's self-centered, self-powered, and self-gratifying society is this ever considered an empowering virtue. From the Oxford Dictionary, the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. This is not a very good definition of mutual submission, but since our message today is about the brokenness and submission of created to creator, it will suffice. When I look at our reading, two things stand out the most to me. Paul may no longer be zealous in his persecution of Christians, believing all the while he was doing as God would have him to do, but he is now equally zealous in one, his defense of the gospel, and two, his repudiation of all that he has held dear for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ and his will. What strikes me is not that Paul would say this is a goal. What hits hard is we know from the rest of scripture Paul did not simply proclaim this, he lived it. 
suffering for the sake of knowing his Savior as fully, human, as, as fully as humanly possible, perhaps more than any other. What is it that changed Paul from Christian slayer to perhaps the greatest evangelist, church planner, defender of the faith, and most prolific writer we have ever known? Verses from Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done in your, to your saints at Jerusalem. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how, he much, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Keep in mind as we look a little closer that Paul is renowned. He is as he describes or maybe even brags about himself in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. He is very well trained and versed in scripture, and yet in all that study, unable to recognize the Son of the living God presented all throughout that very same scripture. In Paul's brokenness and repentance, we see him responding as such. A result of it, his repentance is a result of God's direct outreach. Saul accepts that he, the Lord, is who he says he is and is immediately submissive. Saul is broken and no doubt contemplating all of this for his three days of blindness. Saul was ready to see. The scales that fell from his eyes opened his sight to not only light, but the light of the world, Jesus Christ. He was immediately baptized, being fully equipped by his past training, and now with the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, in a few days we find him teaching and preaching in the synagogues. God, God used another submissive individual to play a part, Ananias. Paul's submission resulted in a daily inspection of self, repentance of sins, and submission to his Lord, a lifetime of pursuit of knowing Jesus and his will, the proper placement of every worldly gift, pleasure, experience, and knowledge at the foot of the cross, holding nothing back, all to be counted as dung. I would like us to look at two other biblical persons, one well-known author, my own testimony, and Jesus Christ. First of all, we will look at Job. Perhaps in no other biblical figure has God, re God devoted a rebuke 
so complete, so beautiful, and so undeniable as he does Job. For four chapters of the book, chapters 38 through 41, are devoted to God reminding Jacob, Job of who he is and who Job is not. Job's repentance of his arrogance is complete and without excuse from the book of Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And how did God choose to respond to that brokenness and submission? From Job 42. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job, more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and sons' sons four generations. And Job died, an old man and full of days. And why did God respond in such a way? The Bible does not directly answer that question, but God does not perform acts unless they are in accordance with who he is. He did it as a grace to Job and as a wonderful, marvelous example of his very nature and power. He did it as a witness to himself and for his glory. Let's look at David. The fall of David may seem a strange story to bring up as an example of brokenness and submission. And I suppose I may not bring it up, save for this. David always gave God the glory, never pointing to his own abilities or strengths, not even as that bold, seemingly arrogant young lad that slayed Goliath from the book of 1 Samuel. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. He gave all glory to God as a youth and throughout his life. Later, God himself would proclaim, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. This very same man committed one of the most famous acts of adultery and murder ever recounted. As with Ananias, God used a messenger, a submissive messenger, to convey the will and judgment of God. The prophet Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David's repentance and submission resulted in his penning one of the most loved psalms, Psalms 51, a few verses from Psalms 51. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. 
the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Fanny Crosby. We gush as a people over the success of Taylor Swift. She is, of course, very successful, having sold in excess of 46.6 million albums in the U.S. and having produced at least 243 songs. This at a time the U.S. population is approximately 334 million. <clears throat> but in the mid-1800s, and with the U.S. population of less than a tenth of today's standing at 30 million, we have a woman who wrote in excess of 8,000 hymns, having to use scores of different pen names at the insistence of her publishers. Over 100 million of her hymns were in print. Fanny Crosby is the blind from six-week author of which I speak. She is being mentioned today for two reasons. One, I stole perfect submission from one of her songs. The second being I feel she is the embodiment of Paul's proclamation to deny all for the sake of knowing her Savior. This, folks, is what the fruit of submission sounds like. From Fanny, and I quote, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect eyesight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might have not sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. This seems to me to be a most joyous and blessed statement, so in harmony with the words of Paul. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Dear Sound Booth, I do not have control. Could you put my little kid picture up? <laughs> and only leave it there a few seconds before you go back to the uh, submission. <laughs> the little guy in the photo has never had any recollection of a time when he was not being introduced to God. This photo was taken by, by my grandmother, Thompson, as she taught her grandson to pray. That grandmother played a large part in my Christian upbringing. It was through her I was introduced to Tabernacle and the Free Methodist Church campground. In my office for my morning devotions, I sit in the rocker she sat in at that campground. Above my head on the wall are mottos she painted from Scripture. On my lampstand sits the Bible she gave me, and on my shelf sits the, her clock that used to keep me awake as I struggled to sleep in the living room of her home. I grew up here in Clare at the Clare United Methodist Church. Church filled my family's lives and activities. For me, choir, youth choir, youth group, church camps, church camp counselor, the first youth representative appointed to the administrative board, considering a possible call to ministry. In the fall of 1977, our family was recognized in our worship service. I made myself a note on here that um, if I ever give you another message, we're going to talk about the perils of bringing people up in a, in, a, in a worship service. We were brought up and presented in the worship service as the first and thankfully last family of the year. 
my love Michelle by my side and owning my heart. So as our family was set to enter 1978, and as Robert Browning proclaimed in his poem, Pippa's Song, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. Oh, but had it only been true. As it turns out, the movie Christmas Story knew more of our future than Robert. Quote, sometimes at the height of our revelries, when our joy is at its zenith, when all is the most right with the world, the most unthinkable disasters descend upon us. And so it was that the day after Christmas, 1977, my father walked into our kitchen to announce to our family that he was leaving. He proclaimed to mom, my sister, and me that he had never really loved mom and was simply through as head of our family. I was 20 years old. I was devastated. As a Christian and understanding how much God hates divorce, I spent weeks crying out to God to make my father return. Free will be damned. I felt, God I felt had a duty to impose his will over my father in order to reestablish my family. This was not to be. <clears throat> already a firstborn type A personality, I allowed this event to intensify an already controlling character. I felt that if God could not be trusted to keep my family intact and safe, then he could not be counted on for much. It was with this attitude that I raised our two children, smothered my wife. It is with this attitude that I made sure we went to church as a family. Michelle and I served in choir, Sunday school, Michelle teaching while I played bad cop, all the while knowing my heart was not right. It is a result of this attitude that I came to understand certain truths. As revealed they are, control is an illusion, rebellion is costly, and freedom to love and nurture comes from the surrender of our sense of ownership. <clears throat> Jeremy, just like every man and woman from Adam till now, had to grow, had to define and find himself, and he had to go be his own person. My controlling nature and absolute disobedience to basically every biblical mandate for raising children, especially Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, left Jeremy without much choice in breaking away. And so it was that on a cold, wet November evening, God would begin to break me of the false sense of control and security I had allowed my pride to enshroud me in. Jeremy's girlfriend, Amber, had come to ask me to please do something, as she was afraid for his life. I assured her I would go get him. After all, I could do anything. That night, the only thing I came home with was the realization of just how truly ugly my spirit was to my son. Rather than come home and be warm, he chose the freezing rain and darkness. This was the end of my falsehood before God. No longer could I fool myself into believing I had true control of anything, let alone anyone. Before God, I cried out for my son, lost to me it seemed for good. Before God, I was broken, repentant, and perhaps for the first time in almost 20 years, willing to submit. And an amazing, wonderful thing took place. No, our family was not immediately healed. That would come in years, not minutes. No, I was not in that exquisitely painful moment magically changed into a forever broken and faithfully submissive servant of Christ. What changed was my relationship to Christ. 
from someone seeking to evade so I could continue my illusion of control and personal knowledge to someone in full agreement with Christ that for one, I am in control of nothing, and two, apart from his wisdom, I have none to offer. That moment in time has brought me more peace, more confidence in my Savior, and kept me better focused upon him than perhaps any other event in my life. I am not where I need to be. I am not trapped where I was. And praise God, I will not be the same tomorrow. God did not leave our family where it was. My shoes are somewhat of a testimony of his mercy, care, and grace. They aren't here this morning, but in the second service, there will be at least four more of us wearing these silly orange shoes. My shoes are somewhat of a testament of his mercy, care, and grace. That same broken family is here today. All my grandsons in their orange hay dudes. That same family, all save a few, attend church here. That same family, all save one, will graduate or have graduated from Michelle's and my alma mater, Claire. We are still broken, as we will always be. We are all in different places spiritually, but I can sure testify that we are not where we were, and we did not get to go where we are, except by his grace, care, direction, and provision, along with my submission, imperfect as it may be. So why have I led you through these particular stories? So that you may understand that God does not use the same precise scenarios or process to break us and mold us into his likeness. He will break us all individually, just when and how we uniquely need to be broken. He will use our repentance and submission as he sees fit for his glory first and our growth secondly. So while God will be faithful to break us, to turn us from our sins, or simply get our attention, it will not appear to be the same for any of us. We, that is the United Brethren in Christ, believe in progressive sanctification, which basically means that it is through continued cycles of brokenness, repentance, and submission that we grow more and more into his likeness. The goal, of course, is to, be, is to abundantly live out the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we are God's children, he will discipline us, for we are the ones he has loved and received. But we play a role. If when we have been disciplined and broken, we do nothing but acknowledge it, never submitting to the rebuke and correction, we will emerge exactly where we were. Universally, for every single Christian in this room, and Christ's entire church, the only response that can or will lead to growth is our submission, that most despised word. What again does submission mean in the context of our spiritual growth? It means accepting his correction, yielding to his will, and pursuing him with all we have to offer. Without this, how can we hope that our brokenness will lead to growth? We of our own power cannot and will not grow. But oh, the joy found in submitting ourselves to his correction and accepting all he will faithfully work in us so that we may continue growing into his precious son's likeness. Notice our only work here is to submit. The Holy Spirit will faithfully turn that submission into growth. 
But unless we bring ourselves to become submissive, while we may be crushed, we will not grow. The picture of Jesus Christ's church from Revelation shows what I'm trying to convey so well. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus Christ was not speaking to an unrepentant, unsaved sinner. He was and is speaking to you and I, for we are his church. He is not speaking to the leaders. He is directly addressing us, and his offer is clear. He is not going to barge into our lives and cause us to seek him first. He is not going to barge in and change us without invitation, for it is simply not who he is. If I ask how many of us wish to have a stronger, more loving relationship with God, I assume not one would deny such a thing. If I ask how many of us would like to see our church truly united and submitted to one another, I would assume the same. What about strong, whole, beautiful marriages and families? How about our church doubling in size because one, we have the room, and two, our individual Christian witness was so strong and focused on the lost that Christ was winning them too? What of our personal finances being in order? Do we not all desire to see this, the Spirit's fruit in our lives? What if I told you that every one of these is most certainly within the will of God for your lives, for our church, and for our family? And what if I told you, if you are not already broken, seeking and submitting as Paul was, it is not going to happen? There are absolutes to Christian growth. They are repentance, agreement with his judgments and will, and submitting to his leading. Until such a time as we are ready to submit, Jesus will faithfully knock on our door, occasionally loudly, occasionally pointing out that he is there, occasionally correcting us for our faults, but never coming to be with us, never dining with us, and never enabling our growth. We play a part in our growth. I pray that you can all plainly hear my heart. I wish us to grow as individuals in the community of Christ, and it is only by submission to him and his will for us that this will happen. It is only through our submission that one day we will all be able to truly not only proclaim whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, but know we have lived it. If you find yourself not growing, it is not because of some external circumstance, it is not because Jesus has moved far off. He is near, he is knocking, are we listening, and what will be our response when we hear him? Let us all either get off our easy chair or climb down from our pedestal and open the door wide. Let us repent, let us agree, and let us submit and grow into his likeness. And let us understand in this, this life until the next, we will revisit this process. I pray daily as in this world we will have troubles, but oh, the beauty that lies ahead. I close this today with a reminder that we have the perfect, as in perfect, not just complete, example of submission. From Luke twenty-two forty-one. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I leave you today with a rather strange benediction and closing prayer, but anyway, I got to do it, so. 
This is my benediction and closing prayer for the Church of Brown Corners today. I pray to God that before you leave, whatever fault, weakness, or sin may be holding you back from growing into Jesus Christ's likeness be dealt with, that you agree, that you repent, and in perfect submission you fling the door wide open and commune with your Savior, the Savior who longs to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. If you leave this day without the assurance that your door is open and that you are in communion with Jesus Christ, your Savior, I pray you will find no peace until you are submitted, not once, but daily for a lifetime. And lastly, if you are not Christian, that you most certainly dare not leave till you are. As always, we are here to pray and share with you. You are dismissed.